This is the one with Ozzy and a squaddy. Stop and tisk. A temper-induced keep-out sign. A Matt Smith substitute teacher. And a jump the blitzer moment. It's called The Caretaker. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistle being an angel sound. Dalek Cyber Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to another, another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. <laughs> Here are my two friends who agree with me. I'm Drew Back When. Opposite me is... It's me, it's Jim. Yeah, it is. And to Jim's right... Leon, that's me. Hello. And we three are the three who you will be hearing tonight. Alas, no Marie here tonight. Nope, she's tired. So you've got a substitute. <laughs> She is taking care of herself. It's kind of fitting, actually, in this episode that there is a substitute in. Yes! Who is this interloper? (laughs) While we review episode N110, The Caretaker. Can I perhaps also point out that this is the second episode that we've recorded tonight, at least Drew and I, which means we have a slight head start on the drinky poos. And I have a slight headache. (laughs) (laughs) So The Caretaker, right? Indeed. I remember liking this. I've always remembered liking this. Same here, I think. I remembered always liking it, apart from the one moment that we listed in the intro with the Blitzer jump. Oh, yes. Oh, where he flips the Blitzer off or something. Yeah. Yeah. That soldier training. Wow, it really paid off, didn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Also involved some gymnastics. I say, you don't learn that from school, do you? How do you think he vaulted over the netting on the assault course? I mean, he was probably like a Marine or something. Marines are always double flipping and handstands and... Oh, definitely. He was wasted on the army. PE teaching, that's what he should be doing. (laughs) That's exactly what he should be doing. Why doesn't the doctor come back with a quip? (laughs) You are clearly a PE teacher. Yeah. Well, we all like it, so... Yeah. Job done. Done. Okay. Hooray! (laughs) (laughs) How about we do a B-scan instead? That sounds good. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Clara has been burning the candle at both ends, trying to please the two men in her life. She and Danny Pink are properly an item now, spending lots of evenings and maybe some nights together outside of school. Meanwhile, snatched moments between teaching and dating are being reserved for adventuring with the Doctor. The pressure is mounting for a colliding of worlds. As Danny starts to notice strange changes in Clara, can she really get a tan in an afternoon or seaweed in her hair from a bit of rain? Intentionally or not, Doc is about to make Clara's life even more complicated by taking up a temporary role at Coal Hill School as the caretaker. There's an alien on the loose in East London and a school full of children is the best place to lure it into a trap. On parents' evening, no less. Understandably, Clara isn't best pleased about Doc's plan, rendered no easier by Mr. Pink being utterly distrusting of newcomer John Smith the second he enters broom in hand. What follows is a cat and mouse game of Doc laying his traps for the alien and Danny trying to work out what's going on, with poor Clara caught in the middle of the whole torrid affair. Will she come clean to Danny about her space and time adventuring? Will Doc finally accept that Clara's new beau is an ex-squaddy? 
And will any of this jeopardise the safety of the planet? Surely not. Never. Doesn't sound like the Doctor. Beastcow over, you are welcome. Aren't you? Jim? Just. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to start where? I want to start with the very start, because I want to get over the very start. Okay. Because the very start reminded me of Planet of the Dead. Oh my goodness, really? How they're, so? They're trapped on a misty desert-like planet, oh, right. and they're about to be eaten by space piranhas. Yes, space piranhas. An episode also written by Gareth Roberts. Is this his greatest hits that he's calling back to as he as he bids farewell? Really, Gareth Roberts? Is it a little inside joke for him? It's like, oh no, look, there are cultural references to my work. <laughs> <laughs> Does the space piranhas even feature that heavily in Planet of the Dead? I just remember they're being trapped on a bus. They're the oh, main they're, peril. They're yeah, constantly they're... flying silvery over the horizon. We, we see them, do we? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're... In the distance, because the budget is minuscule. But, but yeah. yeah, they spent all that money getting the bus out to Weymouth Beach or whatever it was. Still far too similar. I just needed to cleanse my palate. Well cleansed. The other episodes Gareth Roberts wrote were Shakespeare Code, Unicorn and the Wasp, both James Corden episodes, and now he's going out with a caretaker. Okay, there's some real shit in there. Let's not bite the bullet. <laughs> yes, yes, the planet of the dead is really shit. What, what were you going to say, Jim? Unicorn and the wasp is pretty shit as Jim, well. Jim, break him up. <laughs> <laughs> I had erroneously written that he wrote Closing Time and The Lodger. Oh, he has. Those would be the two James Corden ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah gotcha, 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 sorry. You, I mean, you oh. wouldn't say either of those were shit, would you, Jim? I think I probably would, actually. <laughs> and probably did. They made for fun reviews, though. Yeah. The closing type wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And even the lodger isn't that... You know what? Maybe Gareth Rogers... Uh, Gareth Rogers? Gareth Roberts is a hidden gem. I think maybe he's got a way of writing things that then mess with your memory. <laughs> because I don't think this was as good as I remembered. <gasps> oh, Jim! Oh, my goodness, Jim! Oh, yeah. no. and cheesecakes. Am I just on my own with that? I remembered this as being great, and I think it was pretty great. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. With, I'm happy with a good. I don't know if I'm quite stretching to great, but we'll define we'll greatness. <laughs> I've written a rating for this, and I'm already regretting it. Well, I'm not. I'm sticking with mine. There you go then. Can I? Can I throw out a question <laughs> as a discussion point that maybe will rock the boat a bit? Uh huh. But it may not. So why when? Doc knows full well that Clara works at this school. Does he not enlist her help? Why is he trying to do this solo? Because he doesn't need her help. She's a complication. But she's there. Wait, that's a super good question. Is it because he knows that she has a, a life outside of the TARDIS? And he's... Is it him going, Hey, if you are going to have a solo adventure of your own and you're going on dates, and I'm going to have a solo adventure. I'm going to have my solo adventure right under your nose. Yeah, and you'll drop your guard at certain moments and I'll be able to spy on you having your adventure. Yeah, actually, it may be, that's a better theory, actually. Maybe it's so that he can find out who this mystery man is. I guess that would fit because that is what he ends up kind of doing. I don't, it doesn't seem that intentional on his part. It seems almost like Clara kind of wants him to and he's half-heartedly trying to get on board with stuff and then makes a stupid assumption. Okay, related question. Do you think he genuinely believes that his disguise is fooling her? I think so, yes. I think he's that out of it as early Capaldi. Because there is a moment when he goes, oh, so you recognized me then, did you? Yeah. Which is hilarious. Yeah. E even if he doesn't mean it, that is a hilarious little quip. But could it be that he is genuinely surprised that she saw through his broom and coat stick? I think he's impressed. Right. He's like, well done, Clara. I didn't expect this of you, but... <laughs> you <laughs> And maybe that is then further evidence of him 
being there just to spy on her. Mm, possibly. I think I probably took it more as maybe most people wouldn't be paying that much attention to the swapped out caretaker. Like his intention is just to blend in and he's like, oh, you did you did see it was me. Yeah. Like it's not it's not meant to be like that hard of this guy to penetrate, but like she okay. probably, probably just wasn't paying attention. He's like, oh, damn it, you were paying attention. Yeah. Whatever his motivation with that line, I love it. He has yeah, a very low opinion of humans throughout <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that they can put a sentence together or recognize someone they've been traveling through time and space with for months is astonishing to him. By the way, in the meantime, he has replaced the caretaker. The caretaker is somewhere hypnotized to believe that he has a flying car and three wives. And yes. the flu. And the flu. <laughs> I mean, at least let him enjoy the three wives while he has them. <laughs> I mean, that, that's torture, that is. <laughs> Just me, the flying car is more impressive. <laughs> do you think you could do it in the back of a flying car? Yeah. But wouldn't you crash? <laughs> Wouldn't you just hit the into, shard about halfway what? up? Oh, I see. You just park up there. Oh, okay. Anyway. But yeah, the Doctor doesn't want any human intervention in this episode. He's shouting at people, please shut up. If humans get involved, then they ask questions or they want to evacuate. They need to do all these unnecessary things. And if they just left him alone, he could pull off his plan with aplomb. So he, he's right to tell them to butt out. Wait, whom does he shout at? Mostly Danny Pink. But is that because he looks down on humans, or is it because he looks down on soldiers? I think it's the latter. I mean, there's a lot connected with Danny Pink's constant urge to call in the army and to evacuate all the people. Yeah. When the doctor's just trying to stop them panicking, and he just wants to lay his minds and keep your hands off my chronodyne generators. Oh yeah, lay minds around the school, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> no need to evacuate at all. Time mines, Jim. <laughs> See, I, I found this quite interesting, actually, because I think the first time round watching this series of Doctor Who, I wasn't on board with Danny Pink. It took me a long time to kind of warm up to him. And now I have warmed up to him. I watched this today and think, you know what? I think you're right to stand up to a doctor. I think you're right to actually play the human card of how we would respond to a situation. Like, there's a threat in a school. You evacuate the school. You don't try and handle the situation while the kids and parents are around. You know, it's the very human right way to do stuff. I like that you're defending Danny Pink. Goodness me, did I dislike him in this. Oh, do you know what? I'm with Jim. <gasps> because I remember disliking two elements of this episode. One is the Scovox Blitzer, obviously, because it's circular lot on stumpy little crab legs. It's yeah. ridiculous. Okay. And the other was, was Danny Pink. Done, though. I didn't think so. And and Danny Pink. I, I was looking forward to slagging off Danny Pink massively. And by the end of the episode, I was like, mate, you're a stand-up guy. I thought there were maybe two points in this episode where I had exactly that opinion of Danny Pink. One was the let's evacuate the school and one was when he's with Clara towards the end and he, for some reason, he doesn't want to join in on this adventure. Fine, okay, maybe it's not for everyone, that's that's okay. Maybe he even feels that if she trusts him, then on some level he trusts him as well. But his hostility towards the Doctor in every other context, I thought, was utterly uncalled for and completely unrealistic. Well, I think I need an example. <laughs> when the Doctor is in the TARDIS and Danny's taken off the invisibility watch 
And the doctor says, no, don't call me, sir. And he goes, sir, no, I won't, sir. He's being a complete knob. Yeah, a total shit. Why would he do that? Because he has been pushed too far by his officers. I reckon that when we come to the flashback where he kills a little boy, maybe they, I don't know how explicit they make this, but I think he will have been put into a situation by his superiors he should not have been put into. And he's carrying around that trauma with him. I don't think it's just that, though. And I can't remember if that's 100% the way it plays out, but I think you're probably right. I genuinely think he's right to peg the doctor as an officer like figure like this is actually what we have commented on recently as a trait that we kind of are missing from certainly the early bit of this new new who season with Jodie Whittaker's doctor like she hasn't been commanding and actually we kind of like it when the doc is and the doc just comes into a room because you do this you do this why why are you questioning me I'm the doctor come on you just do what I tell you to do and it's exactly the way it goes out and Danny Pink rightly kind of goes that's not always the best thing and is reacting to that yeah I don't agree uh (laughs) (laughs) I think Danny Pink is super rude in this. This is the equivalent of you meet your girlfriend's granddad. <laughs> or her alien dad. Or her alien yeah, sorry, or dad actually. The the age difference isn't that massive. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Cole Hill School and we got the granddad, blah blah. But yeah, so it's like you meet an older family member of your partners and fine, maybe this person has some attitude problems, but you already know that your partner respects or, or in you know gets along with this person. You clearly in this situation must agree that there is a lot here that you don't know. He's just seen something that's bigger on the inside. He's just found out that there's such a thing as aliens. He's just found out that the Doctor was trying to save, even though perhaps with an attitude he was trying to save everyone. It's rude to suddenly just start chastising him or doing the whole sir yes sir spiel especially when the doctor is saying that he is not a military man to then really ham it up yeah arrogant yeah but danny pink throughout this episode has been saying i'm not a pe teacher Mm. i'm not a soldier and i agree and the doctor is super rude to him as well i absolutely agree he's vile yeah but at this point danny pink doesn't know that the doctor is a super intelligent massively technologically advanced alien with a space and time machine well he does when he goes into the TARDIS and Clara has said look come in with me and you can see what we're like together and Danny Pink expects to see more like what he admits he sees at the end of the episode he expects to see the doctor bringing the best out of Clara and taking her to new places and pushing her to realize abilities she wouldn't otherwise do instead what he sees is him being basically being a grumpy old mechanic barking at her to get him stuff and then just mocking her by pretending he doesn't, he doesn't bark know at that, her to get get him stuff yeah, get me the get me the synexis or whatever That's not it is barking he, maybe not barking but it's it's less than genial he, he goes directly from that into let's go on an adventure you and i we're gonna go on an adventure and he's clearly playing it up because yeah. he knows that someone else is there so but he, he is, is acting he, kindly no he's taking the piss out of clara he's showing he's being clever that's what danny objects to he's like Clara, he is mocking you. You don't know that he knows that I'm here. And so far, the two minutes I've seen of him is him just lying to you and making fun of you. And you say he's so great, I see a dick. Okay, I partly agree with you. You are right. He sees this as him doing a clever. He even says it outright. But this is the doctor reacting to Clara trying to do a clever on him. This is Clara's subterfuge to begin with. She has 
deliberately lied to the doctor. The doctor goes, are you here by yourself or whatever it is he says. She clearly just goes, yeah, I'm here. There's no one else who's invisible in this TARDIS. She straight up lies to the doctor. And the doctor has seen through this subterfuge. And that is why he is playing the card of, hey, let's go on an adventure. Yeah. But you know what? In that situation, whose side is Danny Pink going to take? He might not be right, but he is 100% going to take Clara's side. So maybe I don't agree with the rudeness of what he does, but I completely understand why he does it. Fine. That's very Voltaire of you. But the... I, th- I think it's no ruder, like we've already established, like the doc is very rude to him as the get-go. He is, yeah. So it's, And that's too much, I think, as well. And that, yeah, it's it's a response to that, if anything. It's it's not, I don't think it is quite as clear-cut as, like, meeting someone's father and being rude to them. It's being overwhelmed with the situation of being inside a TARDIS, meeting what is most likely and has been presented to you as an alien, even if he looks human. And this guy has been a dick to you. For the last, what, day and a half? I'm not quite sure the, the time frame. Yeah. Mm. Like, I think it's understandable to have that reaction. It's not, you know, justified. You can't defend it. But like you say, Drew, where he's coming from is kind of the right place of, like, checking the situation's okay and all this kind of stuff. And he's, he's looking out for Clara, basically. Yeah, they both want each other to be good enough for Clara. It's not just the Doctor and Danny. It goes both ways. Yeah, I think actually, you know, this, this is, if anything, the bit I like most about this episode is there's a there's a lot of kind of interplay that's done very well in the way it is presented as people being arseholes to each other. <laughs> but understandably, and it's coming from all directions, it's not just one person being an arsehole. It's arsehole feeding arsehole, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking my language, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think maybe that's something, uh, what's his face? Gareth Roberts yep. has attempted in the past. Because I guess a lot of his things maybe do have a lot of interplay with characters you don't normally see in Doctor Who. I don't know. And maybe he's always trying to get this. And this is the one that actually kind of hits. And it, it brings the Doctor into it properly as well. And it works. I remember mm. during The Lodger, Craig Owens took against the Doctor. He turned into an arsehole for a bit of time. But that's because the Doctor was upstaging him and oh, being, right. yeah, not yeah. being a, a brilliant house guest so yeah he's got form got previous all right i think for what it's worth neither case is really appealing to me the doctor is way too arrogant and it doesn't really tally with his own personal history and danny pink is way too arrogant he's he's just way too rude for my liking yeah my liking but when someone gets your back up then you just escalate Over, overcompensates perhaps yeah how do you think danny pink would have reacted to matt smith well i find it very difficult to even imagine matt smith being as matt smith rude. is in this episode oh oh sorry as rude yeah yeah as rude <laughs> as uh as capaldi is in this one i mean he could be on the odd occasion it wouldn't come across quite the same way i think matt smith's doctor always had a a slightly kind of light-hearted undertone that you you'd maybe just kind of like do a double take did like did you really say that like i don't i don't know if i'm offended by that or not you know that's the kind of reaction i would imagine you getting from matt smith's yeah. doctor oh yeah. wait i've missed the next 10 things he said oh now i've got to catch up oh for goodness sake yeah. <laughs> slow down for a minute <laughs> Dan, i mean Dan, just stop moving your arms around <laughs> <laughs> I think Danny Pink might have been a bit more threatened by Matt Smith as an eligible-looking 
younger looking guy. Yeah, true. But I get the feeling he might have just been okay with him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, then again, Matt Smith never had this whole soldier fixation, so... And that bothers me, mm. because I don't think any Doctor has a soldier fixation. Yeah, where does I don't, this come from? I don't think they've established it for this Doctor, let alone any other. But it's just it's just really weird how... It came out of nowhere in Into the Dalek, didn't it? I think so. It feels like they could have sown the seeds in the day of the Doctor, when the Doctor has to end everything. But then, he's not a genocidaire anymore, so I guess that's self-defeating. I mean, he was a The War Doctor. Yeah. Presumably th- his loathing of soldiers is some form of self-loathing. Yeah. They they could okay, they could definitely have joined those dots together and that would have made more sense. Yeah. As it is, I think we're just left dangling grasping at straws. Hmm. So yeah, Jim, it's irksome. It is irksome. <laughs> As much as it annoys me that Capaldi is so out of left field mean to Mr. Pink, I find those scenes incredibly entertaining. I love all the little P.E. jokes at Mr. Pink's expense, granted, mm. but I, I, I find them incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Even when he goes, I've really tr- I've tried to process this. It just like this fact just isn't sticking. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just not going in. Yeah. You want to know how well that works? I had remembered Danny Pink being a P.E. teacher. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, now you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> Is he going to be solving mathematical problems when they go on on adventures together or is that thing yeah assuredly not if he's the maths teacher otherwise this is another case of clara never using her hacking skills yeah i think the doctor's operating slightly above a level you know what i mean you leave him to his own devices he has a b plot a side quest ah he would come across some numerical pattern Mm -hmm. it takes a, a maths teacher to figure this out and he does yeah he cracks some code. Yeah. Does that sort of thing happen? Is he ever given the chance to prove himself a maths teacher? I don't recall it. Yeah, nor me. If, I, so if I had, I probably wouldn't have remembered him being a PE teacher. That's true. <laughs> but then I could well have remembered both. If he leaps over any more things... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. So wait, you mentioned very briefly... Sorry, I, I just having that in my <laughs> vision and just despairing... <laughs> That is definitely a decimal point subtractor. Oh, I think that's more than a decimal point. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, sorry. (laughs) Multiple, multiple. Yeah. I mean, with those skills, he really should be... The Olympics team. Yes. I was going to say, and the Olympics high jump, or just doing the pole vault without even the need for a pole. Setting world records with his flips. Yeah. Ridiculous. Just leave the pole behind and soar into the stratosphere, Danny Pink. (laughs) Out of the stadium. (laughs) Just keep going. I kind of wondering what the records are like for Frosby flopping over a bar versus how tall that alien was because I'm pretty sure that thing was taller than a human oh I don't know I think it was, was about squat it might have been about it was yeah because because um, we get a uh, running past the, the camera shot of Clara being chased by it and yeah. they're, they're definitely the same kind of size I don't yeah. know who's taller but I'm going to suggest it's five feet tall okay. and Danny Pink clears it by at least a foot yeah and lands on his feet like yep. he, he's not throwing himself over to land on a crash mat. He's <laughs> doing it as part of a, I'm going to throw my hands in the air and uh, ask for a score at the end. <laughs> also, how wide is he? Oh, how deep from front to back? Yeah, exactly. He's round, is right? right? Yeah. He's on like a round thing. So how? what is the diameter of a Skullbox Blitzer? Yeah, and what's, the, gigantic, para- what's right? the parabolic arc that Danny took off with? At what <laughs> angle of... It is 
Elevation. Yeah. It would take a maths teacher to calculate this, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can any of us still do trigonometry? Nope, forgotten all about it. Mm. Sorry, went off on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> Scorebox Blitzer. Uh, played by Jimmy V. There was someone in there? Yes, Jimmy V, who, since we have our resident Star Wars expert here. Oh, that's me. He's looking at me. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Jimmy V played R2-D2 in episode eight. Oh. But we've also encountered him on Doctor Who before. He played Banaka Falata oh. in Voyage of the Damned. And he was the Mox of Balhoon. In the end of the world. He's also played like random, I guess, no name aliens. I think he was a Raxacorico Falapatorian at one point. Yeah. Uh-huh. Costume innards. Yeah. Yeah. But has also had actual characters. I mean, Mox Balloon. Balloon. <laughs> Balloon. <laughs> Sorry. Et cetera, et cetera. How do you feel about the Scorebox Blitzer otherwise? It seems like you guys didn't like it at all. No. Or him. No, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, I didn't like it from the second it was introduced when the policeman was making his way through the apparently abandoned building. And you saw a flash of blue and you thought, just just for, I mean, not on the rewatch, obviously, but the first time, could that be a Dalek? No, it's something crapper than a Dalek. But they make you think it's a Dalek for a few seconds to make you think it'll be better than it is. Ah, even the Scorebox vision is a little dalek isn't it? Yeah. And I get that to be an incredibly dangerous alien, in some ways you have to be like the most dangerous alien in the universe, the Dalek, but no, just left underwhelmed. Okay. Yeah, and I think I'm getting a bit annoyed with the superlative way of like ranking danger of, of aliens. It's like, this is the most dangerous alien in the world, is it? With just a gun on his arm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the universe is quite a big place. To even be in the top 20% is pretty effing deadly. What is this Scorebox Blizzard just doing waiting in a warehouse or in an abandoned building? I don't know. And this, so this is my other big question. Okay. Like, kind of fits in a little bit with like, why did Doc want to do this solo? But why the hell does Doc set up the trap in the school when the Scorebox Blitzer is already in an abandoned building? Ah. Oh, Jim. Bart. Oh, oh no, I don't have I don't have an answer. I'm completely on board with Jim. What do you got? Oh, because there's he says something to the effect of there's plenty of Artron energy around Coal Hill School. Always has been. What? So he's saying it's just going to naturally go there. Either that or his plan to, to send it through time and space, whatever, is going to stand a better chance there because of all the Artron energy, oh, which okay. I took to be is actually his fault. Because this is, I mean, it's a, we haven't talked about, Cole, well, we don't need to talk about Cole Hill School as well, but he's, that's where the whole show started in 63. Mm. That's probably where the Artron energy is coming from. Yeah. <laughs> we had a whole spin-off class there also because there's this uh, Buffy the Vampire-esque Vampire Slayer-esque oh, like rift in space-time. Exactly. Yeah, the same guy who well. plays the head here comes back in it, doesn't he? I think only as a very minor character. Don't remember. Probably. Yeah. yeah, very probably. There is something very special about Cole Hill School which makes it optimal for him to conduct his plan. What I don't understand, though, is why, after the first attempt has failed, why does he read redo it there. oh i guess it's because it has to remit it's going to rematerialize it's gonna pop up yeah 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 but no i like jim why doesn't he put the mines around the abandoned building or why isn't the skywalk blitzer just going into the school merrily blasting the shit out of literally everything it wants to because it's invulnerable apparently you can take his archon energy destroy the earth and just fuck off well why is it doing nothing 
I mean, until someone comes and, and disturbs it, does it, it does need, nothing. Does it need the Artron energy? It, I mean, it seems to Maybe. take care of that policeman fairly yeah. comprehensively. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, what prompts it to just be in this abandoned building? How did it get through the gates hey, and close it behind him? Buildings can be abandoned for any number of reasons. Fine. It might be haunted. No, fine. Yeah, by a Scorvox Blitzer. <laughs> How did this gigantic Scorvox Blitzer walk around this building? How did it close the gate behind it? I presume it came through a different way. It might, I, maybe it fell through the roof. Fine, but I don't understand why it has to be there and why it's not doing no. anything. It seems like it's always on a mission or it's looking for some sort of military operation because it's a it's like a, a lost soldier, right? Yeah. So what kind of what is it doing when it's just waiting? What is it waiting for? Yeah. Orders, developments. Why is it waiting there? I don't know. We're not told. Not clarified. No. And I think this is what really pisses me off is they blatantly someone did a very elaborate sketch and just went here's the uranium for this week. And they just went, okay. And they forgot to work out what the fuck it was. <laughs> they just went, right, prop department, make that. Um, you, you can you can operate it. You know, you've done loads of stuff before. You've, you're going to go and off and do Star Wars. You'll be great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll let you the crap out of this thing. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of this squat round shape and it's got to look like the most dangerous thing in the universe. Okay, bye. See you on Monday. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we shoot at two o'clock. <laughs> Be camera ready. Because it's like skulking around at the start, but it has the most annoying sci-fi trope in the world where it announces everything it's doing. Oh, it's like, yeah. Is it stealthy? Is it just meant to be on a massive battlefield? Who fuck knows? Like, it's not like you're saying, Drew. It's not going around just shooting the fuck out of everything. It's oh. kind of skulking in the shadows, but it's still shouting out at everyone. Oh, my rating is dropping, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Make some good points. It's really annoying though, because I I like the interplay of the human and Gallifreyan characters, other than Courtney. Um, but then the alien of the week is just so pathetically just not thought about in the slightest. It was nicely done though, as in nicely fashioned as a prop. It's it's a very expensive looking prop. Yes, yeah. <laughs> marginally better than the skull crab thing in Hyde. Bit reminiscent of it for me. Oh, oh, really? Just the sort of general yeah. shape and half arsery of concept. <laughs> half arsery of concept. <laughs> Someone is like, I've seen the image, so someone's likened it to characters from Mass Effect. I can't remember the name of the race, but it does have a similar kind of head flourishment. Oh, it's yeah. kind of like hair, but not. Mm. Yeah, otherwise it's just, I don't know. It's like someone in a board lecture drawing a doodle of an alien. It's like, there you go. Oh, you guys are not imp- like, oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I guess it just doesn't have much to recommend it. It's got a laser gun and it can move at jogging speed. <laughs> it has it has four legs that don't quite move along the floor as it walks, but it doesn't matter. I, I was impressed. <laughs> I, I thought that was very cool. A different effect, though. Can I go into a little bit of trivia? I mean, this okay. is trivia that will interest no one, perhaps. But I have mentioned now on a couple of occasions that I have trivia associated with this episode oh, yeah. that is of interest possibly. Possibly only to me. Do we need to talk amongst ourselves while you're, <laughs> <laughs> when you're talking about the, uh, the wallpaper somewhere? <laughs> a special effect in this episode that I remember getting on my nerves a little bit the first time that I saw this. Okay, wait. Different backstory. At university, a few of us made a Star Trek fan film. This was in 2008 to 9. Yes, to and this episode was... Temporal context. This episode was the 27th of September, 2014. 24, 2014. Yarp. Six years later. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So in making this Star Trek fan film, literally the first time I'm playing around with After Effects, heavily relying on tutorials online. Have we had this conversation, Drew? You're nodding. This is similar things have come up in earlier episodes. Okay. So <laughs> at one point, the night shift crew, swing shift crew, you might say, of the Starship Enterprise needs to go and drop a massive plasma something on a wibbly wobbly quote <laughs> somewhere in the some sector. Who cares? It, it looks better than it sounds. Yeah. And I needed a special effect to represent the wibbly wobbly. And I found a tutorial genuinely in the category of After Effects Basics. I looked this up last night. After Effects Basic is the name of the playlist on a website called videocopilot.net. They're great, by the way. If you're getting into After Effects, go to videocopilot.net. Fantastic tutorials, lots of free plugins, fantastic stuff. And they had one wibbly-wobbly, whatever, energy ball with kind of smoke coming. It's cool particle effect, very cool stuff. And they have a free template that you can download to learn from, I guess, or use. And they have a lesson associated with it to recreate it. And I recreated it with my very meager uh, tools and experience and know-how, whatever, and it looked like shit, but you can still tell what it is. And that effect, I'll drop it, I'll include a freaking screenshot on whoback1.com, is included in the end product. That exact same special effect is used, in fact, I'm willing to bet it is the free, ready-made version of it, that's there as a demo on videocopilot.net, is used for the effect that engulfs the Scorvox Blitzer. I will include so many screenshots of this. <laughs> <laughs> to compare it. I mean, this was made by either BBC Wales FX or by a company called Milk VFX, who did most of the special effects, the visual effects for Doctor Who for like a good six or seven years. And they literally got someone to go online and download a free clip and then just pass it off. It just seemed really cheap. Well, maybe the direction was, you know what, I've seen this really cool effect. Can we zhuzh it up a bit? And they just went up to the task and they're like, you know what, the effect by itself is good enough. No one will notice. No one's sad enough to notice. (laughs) (laughs) I only noticed because I had used the exact same one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I bet the original's blue and they made it yellow. Nope. Same color. Same color. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. I think it's the exact same clip. Wow. (laughs) Oh, that is poor. Put a tint on it. Use it yourself in your own Star Trek fan film slash Doctor Doctor Who. Who. (laughs) (laughs) I'll trim that bit a little bit. (laughs) Sorry, I went on a rant. It's good in its entirety. I mean, it's both negative because it's incredibly lazy, I feel, and positive because I feel like, oh my goodness, finally. Wait, no, no. It's called Star Trek Swing Shift. You should find it online. Maybe we can finally get a few more hits on it. Special Blu-ray edition coming out this year. Neither of us are in it. We don't care. Oh, no. Well, fine. (laughs) (laughs) You could be on the special Blu-ray edition. Yeah, we'll talk later. Neither of us are in it. We don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Should we talk about stuff we do like in this episode? Yes. Because I feel like there's more of that for me than the not. Mm -hmm. When the Doctor and Clara at the beginning are having one of their whip-smart dialogue sessions, and the Doctor's clicking the... uh, Tardis door open and be like, well, oh, bugger off, Clara. And she's clicking it closed again and he's clicking it open again. And it's back and forth and back and forth. That was nice. Yeah. It was, wasn't it? Is this the first time that she snaps her fingers to open and close the, the Tardis doors? I think she's done it before. Ah, okay. But, but never with this pizzazz. 
Is it maybe the first time she's done it with Capaldi? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Mm. I can't, can't really picture either of them doing it before. But it's a very nice scene. Mm, agreed. And yes, I'm with you on this. Fantastic chemistry between those two. Good energy in that scene. Yeah. She's so confident in that. I love these two together. Yeah, you know how at the end of an episode you can be like, ah, you know what? That performance really held the episode together. I could say that about all three of the leads in this one. Like, Capaldi is great, Clara is amazing, and Pink is perfectly good by himself. Mm. Like, they could, they, I feel like <laughs> one of those performances in a lesser episode would stand out. But all together, yeah, all together they're better than the sum of their parts. Agreed. Because when, when uh, the Doc Pink has just gone off after being incredibly rude and doing all the search stuff, and the Doc says, I think that, I think that went fairly well. And Clara's face... <laughs> is so sad like she wanted this to go well and she's so disappointed in the doctor and she's so not ready for a stupid flippant remark right then i've never seen her look that sad she's a tremendous actress by the way yeah she's got the look of well i don't know how i'm going to resolve this i mean you guys are my future you're my present and and what do i do now and she just sort of slinks off It, it, it is heartbreaking yeah yeah i'm with you and we've just this evening recorded a review of an audiobook in which we criticised the lack of chemistry between the Doctor, Eighth Doctor in that case, and companion Tamsin Drew. Yeah. And here we have Twelfth Doctor with just an incredibly profound relationship with his travelling companion. Yeah, when Clara says, I hate you in this episode, as Tamsin Drew said, I hate you to Paul McGann in the other episode. Yeah. Here, you can, in the dot dot dot, the ellipsis after the I hate you. She's like, ah, oh, but I also hate how I love you so much. There's there's much more in that rather than just some sort of catty callback. It's infused with many layers of meaning. Yeah, same page club. Yep. <laughs> um, Marie did want me to make brief mention of the way Danny gets to experience the TARDIS for the first time. Oh. Because it's a lot slower and a less kind of flashy like oh you're in the TARDIS and we're doing something off an adventure like you we're saving you and all this kind of stuff it was for a start you just get to he gets glance through the door which not everyone does most people just kind of go straight in and yeah he has a lot of time to let it kind of sink in a bit and it was nice to to have that you don't get that every every time I think maybe once or twice in a series we might get a kind of slow down of yes TARDIS is fucking awesome someone needs to appreciate that and get time to have it you get that twice in this episode do we really get it with Courtney yeah, she looks in and she's she's spellbound by it. Her mouth drops. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling to get positive around that entire character. One of my notes around the bigger on the inside moment here is Courtney has a better reaction, frankly. <gasps> oh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Same page club. Same page club. Oh, yes. Here's my friend who agrees with me. There's <laughs> Do you not feel that there's maybe lacking reverence? He doesn't have to peek in, then go out and run around in circles around the TARDIS and go, oh, oh it, but it's, 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 it's because, oh, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's bigger on the inside. He doesn't have to have that over-the-top reaction, but he's a little blasé, I feel. I don't think he's and blasé. Then, I think he's shell-shocked. When he's invisible, by the way, he does not, we don't even get a reaction to him being invisible. He just has, oh, wait, this wristwatch is going to make me invisible? Uh, okay, cool. Oh, you and know then, what? That's a good point. Then he makes himself invisible, and then he de-invisibles himself. <laughs> He's a freaking X-Man in this one, and for the first time in his life, and he is in no way impressed by this. Uh, you know what? It's much more impressive when someone else is doing the invisibling. I mean, when you're doing it. Really? Actually, can, can you see yourself? 
I would assume not. I would I assume not as well. So you're just relying on proprioception to be like, oh, I think my other hand's about here. Yeah. Click, click. You're just fumbling in the air for a while. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. What? Close but your but eyes. You can you can touch your wrist. I know how proprioception <laughs> works. But but even ignore that. Going back to the TARDIS, he has when he is invisible, he's going into the TARDIS. There's no it, fine. Maybe he just has such incredible awareness of his surroundings that it, he's not going to stumble. He's not going to be become disoriented by the fact he's not going to have vertigo due to the inside being bigger than the outside. But at least have him go. Wow. How does this work? Or at the very least, express some sort of reverence in the face of the doctor that, yeah, you're an arsehole, but wow, you know some stuff that is really quite something. I don't know. I I like those reactions, definitely. But I like the fact that the whole makeup of this situation is that the doctor is very anti-Danny. Danny has seen that through all this time. He's true. He's just blindsided by everything. Yes. shell, Shell shock, whatever. And it's that reaction we're seeing. It's a much more human reaction. Like, I think you could probably flip a coin if, like, to put something this extraordinary in front of someone, whether they would go, oh, my God, that's amazing, versus, holy fuck, this is the end of the world. You know? <laughs> yeah. And we don't get that other side of the coin very often on Doctor Who, and I think it's really interesting to see it here. Fair point. Yeah, fair point. Yeah, in a way, you could say Courtney's reaction is more blasé. She she wanders at it for a couple of seconds and then she's like, ah, oh, so can we go off and do something amazing now rather than just being spellbound by it for a while? Yeah. Maybe this is something to discuss in the next episode, but I remember feeling that there's something missing in the relationship with Courtney. That, yes, she was introduced to the secret, but then as a character, she's just, in, in this episode, in fact, she's just sort of abandoned. She, she walks out of the scene and then cut immediately to she's traveling around space with him <laughs> there's something missing in between and yeah, i think definitely. it probably is actually missing from this episode that's true that's very true mm. i think i am actually so the doc in this wants clara to explain danny to him he doesn't get danny i don't get courtney i don't get why she is in this i agree i don't get why she appears in the next one it just it just is very i don't know sideline and then suddenly just there yeah I'm sure in the next one we get some backstory as to why she is disruptive and what's going on there. Oh, really? But oh, she... to get her to that place where she can explain that, that's where the missingness is. Yeah. I, I think it's it's entirely the fault of this episode. Like, we've, we've been aware that she exists. She's been made reference of. We have her parents turn up at the evening. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we're very aware that she's a disruptive child and all this kind of stuff. But is that enough for the Doctor to just... Okay, she's walked past my go away human sign. I'm going to show her the TARDIS. Yeah, that's absurd. Don't yeah. show her the TARDIS. And, and then don't take her on an adventure. Oh, wait. Show her the TARDIS, then disappear from Coal Hill entirely and thus destroy her life because who's going to believe her? <laughs> yeah. And she's clearly going to want to tell people. I think there's a cruel part of the doctor that wouldn't mind that. I think that Clara isn't behaving the way he wants. Danny is being entirely disrespectful. He wants to blow a little kid's mind and have a look in and go like, oh my goodness, my head's about to explode. But all all she is is mildly enthusiastic and that's why he's like, now get lost. (laughs) (laughs) Gives her the Capaldi teeth. 
I think what really, really, really grates on me though is the fact that she gets an adventure. She yeah, that's grated on Leon for years. Yep, like, uh, I'm with you on this one. E- even ignoring the next story, like it's enough that she gets to journey in the TARDIS this time because of how many people have been like that close or that deserving and in, in, got it. Exactly. in the context of the episode that they were in. Yeah, they'd get bugger all. And this random kid who the doctor has just met and hasn't had any kind of interaction with, literally she, she just walked into the caretaker office. But it must be because someone at the BBC had the brilliant idea to go, yeah, but uh, this is a family show and a lot of kids are watching this. And so far, all the companions, everyone who travels with the doctor is a grown up. We need to have someone there just to show them that you can fantasize about going on an adventure with a doctor now, not in 15 years' time when you're the age of the average companion. Yeah. But then make Clara the link. Like, she she's the teacher of that child. Like, yes. Get Clara to bring her in somehow. That's the retro rewrite. That's yeah. the retro rewrite. Exactly. It's just, it's not, there's not enough su- substance to justify it. I don't mind a bit of randomness to it. We, we don't have to operate to entirely rigid meritocratic rules. You can be in the right place at the right time and get lucky and get to walk into the TARDIS unhindered one day. But that would have been better if she just, if she just walked straight in because the doc was distracted. Well, yeah. yeah. That's happened yeah. in the past. It could happen again. And he I doesn't want to mind why her maybe clara is there at the time he goes like no you can't mind wipe her because maybe you'll erase a bunch of you know english lit that i've been teaching her. <laughs> yeah do you know how much trouble i've had getting facts into her <laughs> yeah <laughs> see all of that could have worked and i wouldn't be complaining about it yeah <laughs> I probably would anyway. I started thinking about how I'm going to catalogue her in the Vindex. Because she needs to... She deserves a spot there. She's a recurring character. She travels in the TARDIS. She deserves her own category of Courtney. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) She should have come back in class as a very young teacher, having to manage problem pupils. Or as just a complete delinquent. No, yeah. I was wondering, maybe I shouldn't catalogue her, you know, categorise her as a companion, but as an ally. Which would put her in the same category as the Brigadier, unfortunately. Well, I'm thinking who she's similar to is... Rose's mum. Dude with thing in his head. Was he called Adam? Adam, yeah. Because he goes in the TARDIS, doesn't he? <laughs> I hate that guy so much. <laughs> I still need to watch those. God. I can't wait. <laughs> He's only in two episodes, I think. Maybe this week. I still haven't seen the Simon Pegg one. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, watch it. That, yeah. Isn't that the one? Oh, I forget. That's his second one, I think. Yeah. Oh, all the better. I think so. So is, is he classified as a companion? He is. Yeah. Because I, I can't justify calling him an ally. He's been in two episodes. He was a kind of a villain in the first one, and he's yeah. a total douche in the second one. So <laughs> a companion. Like, she's actually been in more episodes, hasn't she? Yeah, she has. Yeah. And by, yeah, definitely by the end of it, I think. Is this her third? At least. Minimum. Yeah. Maybe a fourth. Okay. And yeah, she gets the journey in the TARDIS. Hey yo. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Not a great sense of humor either. Just saying, morning, Mr. Pink. They all fall about. <laughs> yeah, kids in this school really need to up their game in the bands department. Yeah. Coalhill School. Coalhill School. This is before it was a. More like downhill school. <laughs> <laughs> Zing. <laughs> you burnt, Coalhill. <laughs> <laughs> this is before it turns into an academy. Yeah. Because it's an academy, I think, in class. Probably. There are a lot more academies, thank you, Conservative government. Yeah. Clearly not a great school. (laughs) I don't know. Like, it looks big and it's got... A great budget. 
a massive garden that the kids are actually looking after. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's not very good on the academics and is more the ancillary. Yeah, they have a large chess set. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like I didn't understand what this school was. <laughs> I didn't understand why they were. Well, originally I just thought, why is there a massive Union Jack in this corridor? And then it turned out there were loads of yeah. flags. So it's like they're they're doing Flag Day or something. I don't know. But it was it's just I don't know. It's it did not look like a school I ever went to. That's for sure. Oh. Nor I. Yeah, I mean, our capacity for comparison is very limited, yes. isn't it? I mean, we all went to one school, pretty much. Speak about yourself. I went to seven. Seven, eh? Delinquent. No. I went to, I went to one school. SWAT. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing mm-hmm. to bring up. There's a lot of other episodes sort of hinted at in this episode. Capaldi says the lie of the land twice. Oh. Now, that episode is two series away. A Capaldi episode, yeah. Yeah, but it's called the lie of the land. And elsewhere, he mentions a sinister puddle, which oh. is exactly oh. what we get in the pilot. Yes, it is. And I wonder if Moffat basically re-watches his old episodes, rereads his old scripts, just being like, what can I uh, make oh. a reference into an episode? I'm going to retroactively create some jam and string. Yeah, <laughs> and maybe that explains why he has, as some people have said, five or six ideas in total. Possibly. There's a reference back to a past episode in this. Oh, yes. This is from Todd's Wikia or IMDb, one of the two. In the classic series story, Remembrance of the Daleks, the Doctor returns to Coal Hill School and pretends to look into the job of a caretaker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I thought so. Finally finished the job. <laughs> Finally. Has Capaldi's Doctor spoken about River Song before. She is mentioned in this episode. I don't think he has because You're it, right. it struck me as odd that he would suddenly remember with such clarity when he yeah. seems so weirdly estranged from his past selves. So I, I can't remember when she's coming back how close that is and whether this is an intentional oh we uh, we need to make sure people remember that this is still a, a recurring character because it, it, it didn't really gel that well it was a bit of a sore thumb. What was the context? I can't even remember actually. It was about when Capaldi went to live among otters for a month and he basically oh, sulked because yeah. he and River had had an argument. Jenna Coleman Clara has met River, has she? Yeah, she has with when? the Paternoster gang and at the time of the Doctor. Oh, yes, yes, yes. yes. Not the okay. time of the Doctor, the lifeline of the Doctor, you know what I mean. <laughs> the day of the Doctor? The no, name of the Doctor? Of the doctor. N- that's it! That's it! The name of the Doctor. name of the Doctor. Thank you, great intelligence. <laughs> oh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> Passable memory. <laughs> I'll take it, I'll take it. <laughs> I have a question. Mm-hmm. How often do these two, Clara and the Doctor, end up chained up like they do at the beginning of the episode if Capaldi has to give her her own set of vibro cutters to keep in her pocket, but they're in her other jacket? Which she left at home. Yeah. So there's a bit of alien tech in a coat in her apartment. Yep, also in, true. In London? Is this London she lives yeah, East London. Yeah. I mean, it happened quite recently in the Robots of Sherwood episode as well, didn't it? I'm going to say. They were chained up together with Robin Hood. Yeah, uh, yeah, it did. Oh, so so it happened then. Then he was like, keep some vibro cutters around. Yeah. Presumably they worked. She then took the jacket off. And now they're a third time, I'm going to say. Yeah. Or maybe they've never had a useful them up to now. So, yeah. she, so she hasn't had them ready. She was wearing that really time appropriate dress in Robot of Sherwood. Mm. So maybe she even had it in her jacket pocket beforehand. True. Maybe she just got tired of lugging this heavy alien tech around. Like, I'm not going to. Yeah, exactly. It's just like the proton pack that the doctor is <laughs> swinging around towards the end of this episode. <laughs> he, he does look like he's about to bust some ghosts. Right? Yeah. yeah. I do like that it's kind of a little, I don't know. 
in mythology explanation for why the Doctor and this is all the Doctors, not just Capaldi, have one outfit. It's so that you can put all your gear in it and you never forget stuff. Ah. Yeah. It's the coat. Yeah, the bottomless pockets. We do see, because we are reviewing the Tom Baker stories. Yeah. Tom Baker has a, a few cults. No, that's true, actually. There's generally a very consistent look. Yeah, that's true. Like, week in, week out, the Doctor is generally wearing the same outfit. That is true. And occasionally switches it up. <laughs> it talks about Courtney being written out of the episode. Yes. Clara admits she loves Danny. How does that not get picked up on? That's true. I mean, he doesn't say it back. He doesn't seem to take that into his future reactions. Yeah. That doesn't leaven his mood or attitude at all. In general, I like the character of Danny Pink. And my recollection of those two is that they are a really good couple. Not just like a, a good couple per se, but a really pleasant couple to have on screen together. They're good. They're charismatic. When Danny Pink can get his words out in the right order. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think this episode is representative of that Danny Pink. See, my note after that, I can't, I can't picture his reaction i think he was he had a reaction mm-hmm. but then my next note is him getting shown the tardis so i can kind of understand it being short and suddenly there's a lot of other stuff happening i would have been very soppy at that point and i would have had him look into the tardis and had the doctor maybe make a couple of boastful remarks and have danny just turn to clara and go so you love me and the doctor would be like yeah. oh, oh curses yeah. <laughs> retro rewrites <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, why not? It's possibly fuel for the way he, he reacts after it, though. Like, because he, he becomes very protective of Clara in a way, which is not, not necessarily always a good thing. Mm. Like, one of, one of my points is really, at the end of it, is is Danny caring? Like, when they have that sofa scene? Like, is this Danny caring about what's going on and, you know, making sure that the Doctor isn't a bad thing in, in Clara's life? Or is he controlling a bit? Yeah, my note for that scene. She doesn't need his help. She's very independent. She can take care of herself, but she kind of just leans into, yeah, yeah, no, you're the big soldier guy. You you protect me. You keep me safe. Yeah, he's gone from a wet blanket to a weighted blanket, <laughs> smothering her. But it is understandable. Like, I, I think most people would be wanting to have some kind of reassurance that the alien that's taking you through time and space is not going to get you killed. Or yeah, But she's been doing this a lot longer than Danny Pink has been doing this. Yeah, but plenty of people make bad decisions, don't they? <laughs> that's true. And sometimes you just need a slap around the face to go, no, stop doing that heroin. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually all it takes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just <laughs> do a good deed, slap a heroin addict. <laughs> I'm going to make a motivational poster for the new McGuinn charity slap a heroin addict. Apologies if that was very offensive from <laughs> for both myself and Leon. I've just been watching BoJack Horseman, so it, that's where my reference came from. Aha. Oh, I still need to watch that. <laughs> But seriously, stop doing the heroin. Yeah, yeah. Oh, please. Yeah, also. Yeah. Also, please don't slap heroin addicts. Take that as a verbal slap. <laughs> <laughs> How do you guys feel about fake Matt Smith? Fat Smith. I loved I loved the way the piano music, Clara's theme started playing on like a grand piano as, as beguiling as possible. And, and Capaldi's smile is so, so, so self-assured. He is happy for her, but he's also so pleased that it's his past self that she's, he thinks she's fallen in love with. I, I, ah, yeah. uh, I, those scenes, ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can I admit to being the dumb one? between us because i didn't see it i didn't see matt smith he had a bow tie on the tiniest bow tie (laughs) i just i just saw a dude like i don't know he was wearing a blazer or something was he yeah he's wearing a a tweed jacket i think yeah white shirts bow tie white shirt maybe not white shirt anyway and he's got floppy hair and 
Yeah, he was a little shorter than Matt Smith, but he, a lot shorter than Matt Smith. Yeah, and he had uh, he had sort of similar mannerisms and delivery, not as hand wavy, but a little wobbly. Yeah, yeah. I just saw an English gent. I don't know. I, d- I didn't really. And I, I got the reference when Doctor was saying, you know, like what is the phrase he says? I forget. But it's very clear that he's thinking, oh, you've you've fallen from one of my past. Yeah, types. Yeah, go and canoodle. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the the actual look of him, I didn't, I didn't really get. I would, I would have just taken it as a generic kind of eccentric English kind of character, teacher, librarian, yeah. Which the doctor kind of brushes up again in various looks, I suppose. He's the local school librarian slash vampire hunter mentor. Yes, exactly. Right, Giles, (laughs) straight up. Just finding a picture of uh, fake Matt Smith. Got a bow tie. He looked more like Matt Smith in my mind. <laughs> oh yeah, once once you've stopped on a still of him, you yeah. see all the differences. Yeah, that's true. Which like is like watching a Doctor Who episode. When it's playing and it's moving in front of you, you're like, this is really good. And then, then you stop and then you think, and oh dear, that's that's your first mistake. Yeah, that game of musical chairs, you realise how many chairs have been taken away. <laughs> ah. Oh, that is poetic. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think like I'm talking this episode up enough. There's More then. Yeah, there's the whole adventure with the Bogons and Doctor going on an adventure with Jane Austen in 1797. So she had to write in 1796 and he just knows a fact. Yeah, super good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. This is additional great chemistry between Doctor and Companion. Yes. And Clara's getting so exasperated and at the end she just has to go, ooh, it's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) And then the kid, Mr. Have some homework. Who asked for homework, amateur? Has the doctor grabbed the longest, tallest ladder just to spy on her class? Because he's not there putting a chrono grenade mine thingy outside her window. I guess not. I don't know. We don't see him do it anyway. Did anyone actually understand what those things were? Chronodyne generators. Of course. Yeah. They create the name. A, I believe you'll find that they create a wibbly wobbly. All right. Okay. Onto which to drop a plasma discharge. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a time suck. They create a they create a wormhole into the future that the thing falls through. Okay, so he he drops them at random points in a, that looks like a breadcrumb trail, mm-hmm. and then he's set them up on chairs in a hall. And apparently, the school has loads of halls because they can be off doing their parents' evening in one place whilst the yeah. This is actually a well-to-do school, isn't it? Yeah, that's the drama studio. It's completely different. All right, so they're in the drama studio. <laughs> is that a drama studio at school? Yes, and a chapel. Didn't everyone? No. Okay. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so he set up some chairs which sets what looks like the trap part of it mm, yeah and danny has collected a few of the breadcrumb ones and suddenly that's changed the from sending it a billion years in the future to 72 hours yeah that's true so all these chronodyne thingies are creating the wormhole itself i don't know they're targeting the wormhole in some Is way it like the spiral of a galaxy is like you have to kind of draw a mini version oh and wait till the spiral arm sort of comes back around again and that's when he rematerializes i don't know maybe it just, it just didn't make a lot of sense and doc is just angry like there's no explanation of what the hell he's been doing it's just i'm doing stuff you don't need to know about it or i'm angry because stuff hasn't happened how far into the future has he intended to send the um Scorebox. Billions of years. Billions of years. Billions. But only send it through time, not send it through space. Indeed. What year does life on Earth end, according to Doctor Who? He's not going to come back on Earth. The Milky Way is rotating. The solar system is rotating. I don't know, maybe the Earth's orbit is is going in and out from the sun in some way. It, 
won't ma- I don't be materialise in the same place. It's just going to end up in deep space. Because wouldn't it be cool if, if coincidentally the Earth is there and there's just a whole bunch of you know, either future humans or flat humans just on, you know, sheet humans. Cassandra Delta 17. Exactly. Cassandra and her entire family of sheet humans just having flat food for lunch uh, and all of a sudden in the middle of the room, just on the dinner table, <laughs> score box. Just me. All right, fine. Retro rewrite. <laughs> oh, whatever. Screw you guys. I, think... I thought it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've always set up the premise that humans abandon Earth way before way then. before the Earth like is in that. Uninhabitable. I mean, in one episode, well, the Earth is detonated. In fact, <laughs> in the mocks of balloo- balloons. Why do I want to say balloons? Balloons episode, the second ever Eccleston episode, End of the World. Do they not detonate the Earth? Uh, when I was watching it die, I forget. Yeah, and then a series later, they end up at New Earth. True. So, yeah. Anyway, it's just one of many possible futures, as we've seen in the most recent series. Uh, wait, wait, wait. wait they have seen all oh, yeah, 50 yeah, yeah, bollocks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful 55. <laughs> I very much liked Clara in general, but when they are actually at the parents' evening and there's a suddenly a rush because shit is going down and she pauses to say that actually this child, I'm being very blasé, is brilliant. <laughs> oh no, she could do better with her handwriting. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely actually. <laughs> yeah, Clara's concern for the school and its students at all times is seems entirely genuine. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. At this parents' evening, are there just two teachers? Is it just Clara and Pink? And Aid. Who's Aid? The Matt Smith substitute. Oh, right. Oh, is he there as well? Yeah. Okay. Who is also an English teacher, is that right? Yes. So two English teachers and a maths teacher. (laughs) Is there no actual PE teacher? (laughs) (laughs) There's a drama hall, but there's no drama teacher? Well, that's it. Musical chairs plus outdoor chess equals PE. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and gardening. It's, it's, it, and gardening and history. There's a king and a queen there. In fact, there are two of each. Yeah, history. Oh, all the bits about the doctor bringing in the PE stuff. you got a swimming certificate, so you think you can interfere. Your head's too full of cross-country. You know, the offside rule. I, I just love that. All of that. I agree. I thought this is this, what I'm saying. I, thought, I love all the PE stuff. It's yeah. terrible, yeah. but I love it. <laughs> He's, I, he's just incredibly good to watch. It doesn't matter if you accept he's an asshole. Mm. Like he, him saying you've made a boyfriend error. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> when I get a dog that. or a big plant. Yeah. <laughs> I think they are finally kind of understanding what they've got with Capaldi and they're writing up to it. Mm. It's, it's great to see him deliver this kind of stuff. Yeah. Capaldi can do pretty much anything, can't he? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. I'd like to think so. Yes, meaty yeah. chops. Mm. So jumping to the end, there is yet another occasion of us revisiting the broader arc. We get to see Missy in passing, uncredited. Oh, yes. We meet her adjutant, Seb, who I'd completely forgotten was Ollie Reader from The Thick of It, mm-hmm. playing against uh, Capaldi. Uh, but yeah, so we're just getting a reminder. I feel like it's been a while since we last had a reminder of this whole afterlife yeah. Hard drive, whatever it is. Nether Sphere is my favourite. Nether Sphere, yes. <laughs> oh, Ollie. When was the last time? Was it Into the Dalek? No, we've had them since then. Have we? Have we? Didn't Ooh. have it in Time Heist. Didn't have it in Listen, because I don't know if anyone died in Listen. Did we have it in Sherwood? Did we have it in Sherwood? I don't think so. I thought we had it mid-episode. Either Listen or Robot. Okay. Almost certain. But it definitely, it felt like, yeah, it had been forgotten for an episode or two. Yeah. 
And this, this is the first hint of what's really happening. Yeah. Oh, and don't they tease us where the guy gets to peek through the, the blind, yeah. blinds? Yeah. <laughs> see, I, I was expecting to see something then because I, I couldn't remember how they start revealing things. But yeah, that was a real tease. Mm. <laughs> I think now maybe we don't get to know until until the end. It really matters. Yeah. 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 Also, they were teasing us with Missy. She was halfway down the car. It's like, no, come over, be Missy. Yeah. Oh, you're going. Oh, oh. No. <laughs> Yeah, my note is literally a different person in the afterlife instead of Missy. I, I don't think the character's named in this one, is it, Seb? Does he no, do, I just found it from... The, I don't yeah. think so. I just found it from the credits. Yeah. And then my next note is, ah, oh, there's Missy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly shot on a different occasion because not credited, no uh, lines, yada, yada, yada. So cool. Okay, my last note is Courtney is feeling a bit queasy in space. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She could just throw up into the interstellar void. I was thinking the same. And she decides to turn around, find a bit of floor. <laughs> Lovely. And coat it. I mean, oh. just to have uh, the doctor drop a little caretaker joke, though. Yeah. I, spillage. I wanted her to puke out of the TARDIS so no. I could see... Floating around. Well, no, because... Or the force field, just like dripping yeah. down the force field. I want to see how far <laughs> away the force field is from the doors. <laughs> I thought I'd get to see. Yeah. Oh, well. Right, ratings. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, I have to ask in advance. Please forgive me, but this is going down as one of my fun episodes. So I'm going <laughs> to rate it super high. Okay. Oh. But you know what? Nearly everything about this episode rings true. We've taken some bits to task, but overall, I thought the writing, the sheer volume of lines and the web they wove, the thickness of it, the density, it's so well done. I enjoyed this episode far better than Time Heist last week. So you know what? I'm glad I gave myself the extra room to rate this one higher. The montage at the beginning, we didn't talk about, where Clara has the two sides of her double life. That compresses what was so laboured for years at a time with Rose and Mickey or Amy and Rory or to a lesser extent more recently Yaz, Graham et al. How do you balance these two sides of your life? And this outdoes them all in a couple of minutes this nails it boils it down to its essence and i can't see how that could be improved the script is so tight i could type large chunks out of it word for word and the sheer volume of gags and wordplay means that any underwhelming zings you don't have time to groan at because another one is already on you two out of three ain't bad and they just keep on firing i also like that the doctor was wrong about matt smith look-alikey and what could have been a neat conclusion you know oh doctor figured out the codes yes danny pink jumped over the top it is at least partly redeemed by doc having to play the general something he's been denying all episode he has to be the commander to the soldier the scovox blitzer so that adds an extra layer to it and i like that too danny pink is given what seems like realistic insights from his time as a soldier that justify his character i don't know if he's gonna be as fully fleshed out as he is in this episode apart from in flashback when he kills that little boy. And I remember not liking him back in 2014, but on the rewatch, he seems much more reasonable. He's there for Clara, he's jealous at first, but he's got a warning that comes directly from his experience. This episode, in a lot of ways, ties a lot together, so perhaps it was inevitable it would miss out on some bits. That said, the Skyrock Blitzer is, of course, crap. It's a killer on stumpy crab legs, but I can look past that. Officer Capaldi is on top form. He's always having a little pry. What is Clara doing? The episode is capped in him. He's glaring in Danny's general direction. Everything he says has a kernel of truth. I'm so glad we left Tennant behind. 4.5. Oh, oh wow. Yup. Wow. 
All right. Talk about a twist ending. <laughs> I just enjoyed it that much. I'm really glad. I, I enjoyed it as well. While you were talking, I was debating to change my rating. I, oh, oh. Stay strong, soldier. <laughs> it's not that high for me, <laughs> but it is high. Do you want me to go next? And then uh, uh, it might sway you one way or another. Yeah, do that. Do that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to thank Drew for his his mini there because i've been very negative during most of this and i think that's unfair i think this is a very good episode and i very much enjoyed watching it and you have reminded me of how much fun it is to watch the interaction between those main three in particular is just wonderful like all the quips the doc is given at danny and danny doesn't have a lot of fun stuff going back his way i think but he's showing a human side we don't often get to see in doctor who where he doesn't just buy everything he doesn't feel like the doctor has to be who he presents himself to be doesn't have to be the savior of the universe he could just be potentially someone who could get Clara into a dangerous situation. And that's the kind of view we get. Like, I don't think we've even seen it with, I'm trying to think like what Jackie was like with Rose. Like, I think she was just swooning over the doctor rather than worrying about the safety of her daughter more than most situations. I don't know. Yeah. So I think, I think it's an interesting thing to throw into the mix. But for the most part, it's just, we get, yeah, lots of snappy dialogue. We get lots of quips. We get lots of fun and energy. And that's coming up from all angles. It's Doc berating Danny it's Clara standing up for herself and loving her job as a teacher in the school that she's working in like we've said already though like Danny surprised me in re-watching this series that he is likable I did not like him at all the first time I watched this when it came out in 2014 I think Drew has said I think it's an unfortunate nature of perhaps the actor's delivery. Uh, like a lot of times things fall a bit flat. It's not quite as motive as some of the other characters, you know, particularly when you're surrounding yourself with Capaldi who can just tweak an eyebrow and uh, there's a hell of a lot of <laughs> emotion coming around. But yeah, he's, he's a likable character. And I think it is good to see the Doctor pulled up on that nature of commanding a situation and... And I agree with Drew that there's a, a nice interplay with the script, throwing it that he has to save the day by commanding the robot to stand down. So yeah, plus points for all of that. But I really hate the Alien of the Week. I think there's very little positive to take from it. I don't even particularly like the look of it. It Yes, it looks like they spent a lot of time and money making it. But yeah, you can throw time and money at anything. It doesn't make it good. And it's Transformers not... movies. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah, a very good example. I mean, we could literally put up a poster of Danny leaping over that thing and just thinking that's the worst moment in New Who, perhaps, because it's <gasps> really God, I love like, it. It's a very almost literal <laughs> jumping the shark moment of just who thought this was a good thing to do? Who thought we don't have to explain our alien of the week in the slightest? But um, flipping is what soldiers do. Just look at Jenny, the doctor's daughter. She does nothing but flip. <laughs> She's the ultimate soldier. <laughs> I mean, I get it. It's a family show. They can't show that soldiers, unfortunately, have to kill people. But they could show that um, soldiers spend most of their time actually working in the environment that they're in and, you know, building stuff. Digging wells. Digging wells and all this. Yeah. Gymnastics? Where the hell does that come from? <laughs> so it's a bit of a mixed bag but it is mostly positive i can't go as high as drew though i'm i'm definitely in the the three point something camp and i've plucked a number kind of at random to settle on 3.3 oh wow well i mean you two are no help <laughs> <laughs> you must be able to nestle safely in the middle of that yeah yeah coincidentally um firstly 
It is lovely to be back in Core Hill School because it's it's just a welcome return to the roots of Doctor Who, of this show. This is where it all started, and I feel as they're walking down the corridors of Cole Hill in this episode, they could easily just open a door to the teacher's lounge and we would see Babs and Ian discussing cardigans in there. It would be great. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen some sort of reference to the location by the Doctor himself, just recognizing it as, yeah, this is where my granddaughter went. Or maybe, wow, I really miss my granddaughter. Shouldn't have abandoned her, you know. I remember (laughs) when she was a kid here. (laughs) Nonetheless, it is lovely to see the Doctor. His antagonism towards soldiers seems a little misplaced. Already said that, especially given he has a history of it himself. And maybe he should know that sometimes circumstances force perfectly good people to think that taking violent action is a good idea and pink is one such person. The Doctor was one such person. And I understand why we don't get it here, but I think something that I feel is missing, unrealistic though it might be, is maybe a realization on the Doctor's part that instilling in Pink all of his militaristic ambitions was all the Doctor's doing. And it, oh, yes! And it would be really nice to have the Doctor, if nothing else, to flick him on the nose and teach him a lesson to go, no, all these things that you disrespect about this one character, it's, that was your choice, that was your doing. You taught a kid that this was a cool dream to have. Anyway, whatever. Besides that point, Capal is wonderful as the caretaker. He's fun. He's scathing in his indictment of mankind. Fine, I don't necessarily agree with his a priori hating of pink, but I love it nonetheless. It is hilarious. All the P-E-isms. Clara is brilliant as always. Great to see her on her own turf. Uh, she has lots of strong and fun interactions with the other teachers and in class, and as we've repeatedly pointed out tonight with the Doctor. Less so with Pink, though, I thought, and I appreciate that I am in the minority on this one, but I I wasn't a huge fan, and I know that it's going to change, I, I believe, for the better, so I, I'm willing to give it some leeway. Story is perfectly serviceable. The alien looks badass, even though it is as redonkulously flat as a character as it is round and bulgy in appearance. And I do enjoy the overall conclusion of the episode. Uh, Oh, and lastly, though I look forward to really despising and envying her in the next episode, Courtney was not as bad as I remembered. Mm. So I'm going to give this... I was teetering on the edge of between 3.9 and 4.0. I'm going to... I'm going to... Go with 3.9. Actually, quite safely, right smack in the middle between you guys. Nice. I generally thought you were going to teeter over to the fours then. I had written 3.9, and during Drew's review, I added slash (laughs) (laughs) 4.0. In case I'd chicken out. No, I'm I'm sticking with it. Minis? Yeah. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Without further ado, we have two listener minis. Ooh. Who's first? The first one is from... Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill, Star Wars Sill. Thanks, Star Wars Sill. Hello, hello. Star Wars Sill begins. I liked the beginning, the whirlwind feel of so many adventures. I also like that the Doctor confused the keep out sign with, Go away, humans! A big fight with River? That left the Doctor sulking with otters for a month? I had this very strong suspicion that River took the TARDIS when she stormed out, and the Doctor was left stranded with otters for a month. Most likely. The first sequence of the Doctor thinking he was undercover. Surprised that Kalara would recognise him when he was wearing a different coat was amusing and endearing. His behaviour towards Danny Pink is awful. And Star Wars still gives it 2.5 out of 5 otters. <laughs> Any number of otters is a lot of otters, though. It's awesome stuff. 
Because otters are awesome. D- love it. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> On the money. Thank you very much, Star Wars Sill. If you happen to not be a Star Wars Sill, please say hello to Star Wars Sill. Oh, where can we do that? On Twitter, don't you know, at Star Wars Sill. Oh, marvellous. Star Wars Hill, Star Wars Hill. Thank you very much, Star Wars Hill. Next up, we've got Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Love you, Michael. My goodness. I don't know whose voice that is. Well, hello, Michael. Well, (laughs) guest host, James Earl Jones. (laughs) Michael starts with some likes. The Doctor at his most Rick-like and Morty. Zany, manic, obsessive, arrogant, shifty, shifty, sociopathic. (laughs) I love it. Next up, the cheeky opening montage and Clara's innovative excuses. The robot spider alien thingy. The funny kid. The poor policeman's epiphany and a very grumpy missy. Then Michael continues with a former... (laughs) First time round, I hated this episode because the Doctor was such a dick to Danny, and he is. But this time I view the Doctor's behaviour in a different light. Perhaps his desperation and anger at slowly losing a friend. Something even he cannot control. Mm. Nice. Yeah. And Michael gives us a wee bit of trivia. Is this the first explosive alien battle in Coal Hill High since it was overrun with Daleks in the Seventh Doctors? Pièce de Résistance. Remembrance of the Daleks? I think it might be. And Michael summarises this as off the another brick in the wall and rates it Four out of five charcoal officers of the thin blue line. Nice. Well, not that image, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the review. Thank Gross. you, Michael. <laughs> yeah, wow. he was turned into coal just outside he was, Coal Hill yeah. School. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely mini as always, Michael. Thank you very much. Are you not Michael? Don't worry. Follow him on Twitter. Learn his mannerisms. Pretend to be Michael. He can be found at bad underscore. <laughs> Movie underscore <laughs> club <laughs> Jimbo. Oh no, Jimbo. <laughs> Sorry, that means a lot more to us than to you. <laughs> I loved it regardless. <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Right, what's next? First, a classic, namely the Rybos operation, if it's how you say that. I will see. <laughs> <laughs> Then a new who. Kill the moon! <laughs> and eventually an audio who review, namely Deimos. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Jim? Yes, you can say hello to me. I can be found at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the Who. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Drew? I'm at Drew Backwen. Excellent brown. Oh, thank you. Mm, and I am at Ponkin. Let's just not talk about it. <laughs> Until the next time, be around next doing to each other. Thanks again for listening. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Bye-bye. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. 
Check us out on Instagram for behind-the-scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?